0: When was the last time you admitted you were wrong? When was the last time you asked to be forgiven? Dad, Mom, when was the last time you said to your son or daughter, I'm sorry? Sister, brother, when was the last time you forgave one another? When was the last time you responded to a beggar on the street? When was the last time you confessed a specific sin of yours to a fellow sister or brother in church, to an elder, to your pastor? When was the last time you confessed a specific sin to God? When was the last time you experienced mercy? We're not too good at giving and receiving mercy, are we? Simon Peter struggled with this also. He asked Jesus, Lord, how many times do I have to forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? He's asking about mercy. Peter, he's a fisherman, so he's got his business to run. He's he's a family man. He's a husband and father. He's he's a neighbor. He says, where does mercy fit into my day-to-day living? And he's asking for us too. Because if we're honest, we'll say with him that if we are merciful people, We suspect it will cost us too much. We assume we really can't get along in life if we're merciful people. People will use us. I got to be careful with mercy. Jesus tells the parable, a story, to reveal that God's kingdom is a kingdom of mercy. We listen, and it dawns on us that when there's no mercy, all you're left with is judgment, anger, debts, settling accounts, demands. We're just each other's jailers. We're just each other's prisons. Without mercy, there's only wickedness. How many times shall I forgive Not seven times, says Jesus, but 77. And he means if you're counting, you're not being a person of mercy. When Jesus shapes our life by his cross, we will be disciples who practice mercy. That's the revelation to Peter and to us today. And this sounds foreign to us. I'm just not sure we do a lot of confessing and forgiving and showing mercy in our day to day lives, do we? Oh, we have done things that need forgiving. And oh, we have been hurt as well and find ourselves in situations where we should forgive or show some kind of mercy. But I'm thinking we usually don't do that. We prefer to hold our peace, we gossip. We hold grudges. We wish we could get even. We justify what we've done. We divide angrily into us and them. So Matthew 18 is a chapter for most of us, most all of us, I suppose, who have lost our way when it comes to mercy and forgiveness. The first few paragraphs of that chapter get real specific on how to address the hurts and the troubles that wreck human relationships and take us away from any sort of real life with God. When Jesus commands us to forgive, and the Bible commands us to love mercy, he's not ignoring the gravity of sin. Matthew 18 talks about that patient, persistent work of recognizing sin, of naming it, of getting to the point of face-to-face confession and the long, graceful, but often painful road to reconciliation. Peter has just heard that part of Matthew 18. He's heard Jesus say, when something goes wrong, first you go to that person, and you name it, and you talk it out. And then if that doesn't work, you take someone along with you. And you do the same thing, and you name it, and you talk it out. And if even that doesn't work, then you go to your church, and you get them involved to help them try to get to this point of reconciliation together. And so no wonder Peter asks, well, then how many times do I have to do that with someone? If you've ever done that with anyone, you know once, it takes a lot out of you. Let alone seven. Let alone seventy-seven. Times. But Jesus insists on mercy anyway. He came to forgive and his love shapes us to live that same way. So there's never enough mercy according to him. That's what he wants for you and me. He knows our need for mercy is great and he knows what it costs to give it. He knows the pain. He was condemned unjustly. He was mocked and beaten, and just took it, he knows the seriousness of it all. He knows many of us could share stories and ask, should I be merciful even when this happens? Can there be any mercy when there's abuse? Doesn't mercy enable addiction? Who will protect me if I show mercy when the relationship has been broken? How can there be any forgiveness when there's been a serious crime committed? Still, we see what's happening in places like the Middle East. And while we who went through 9-11 understand Israel's retaliation, knowing there are still innocent hostages suffering even today, still something in us pulls us toward, has us pray for mercy for the people trapped in Gaza. Even there, we know deep in our bones that mercy is the right thing to do. It's why Putin is rightly condemned by the world And our country is right to help defend Ukraine. To bring some kind of mercy into that evil war. And we know that without talk of mercy, we're never going to solve our own border crisis. So as hard as it is, these words of Jesus stick with us. He tells a parable to this one point. In the words of the masters of the story, verse 33, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? Can we take that question to heart? This is what Jesus gave Peter. Peter, I know the hurts, but I am shaping you to be a man of mercy. Of forgiveness. People of God, the Spirit is shaping us into a people who lead with mercy, who respond first with forgiveness. Because the world so needs it. Because you so need it. Because only with forgiveness will we be right with God. Because we have forgotten how to give and receive the one thing that restores us with God and our neighbor. So let the surprises of the parable convince you to rejoice in giving and receiving mercy again. The surprise of this parable is Jesus' insistence on mercy. That when we consider our citizenship in the kingdom of God, we should think of mercy. What are the surprises in this parable? Well, here's the first the servant is brought before the king he owes a massive debt of government proportions the man owes the king 10,000 bags of gold says jesus now in that day 10,000 was like the highest number that there was and A talent, the bags of gold, are a talent that's the biggest unit, the biggest denomination of money at that time. And of course, gold was the most precious, the heaviest of metals known to them at that time. So Jesus is saying, this man owes the king the highest, largest, and heaviest amount anyone could ever owe ever. He asks for time to pay the king back. He's not going to do that. It's never going to happen. So the normal solution of this is for the king then to sell this man and his family into slavery and all his goods, to recoup what he can and to punish the man for the rest of his life. But surprise, the king forgives the debt. Verse 27, the servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. Now that's no way to run a kingdom or a business. It costs the king more than we can imagine, the highest amount ever. It's an extravagant example of mercy and forgiveness. That's God's kingdom. That's God's presence with you and me. That's how God runs this new life for us, preparing us for heaven. Mercy. So what happens when mercy is introduced into our lives? By and large, we really don't want to have much to do with it. We rebel against mercy as human beings. The forgiven servant goes right out and starts calling in debts. Now that's no surprise. Why is the servant like this? Why are we like this? Because mercy is costly. The thing is, what this man owes this forgiven servant isn't small. It's a substantial amount too. Not near, of course, what he's been forgiven, but not nothing. It's about a hundred days worth of wages. So yes, Jesus is saying, I know what sin does to you. I know you have been hurt too. But look what you've been forgiven. Shouldn't that count for something when you consider your responses to others and your love for mercy? So, look at the passage. When the forgiven servant won't show mercy, it's not that the servant looks ridiculous. Because Jesus knows what this costs. But instead to Jesus, this servant looks wicked. So hear that. When we refuse to be merciful, that's faithlessness. It is wicked according to our Savior. So we should feel the weight, the gravity of this story judgment i mean the fellow servants do verse 31 when the other servants saw what had happened when when they saw the forgiven servant failed to extend mercy to another who owed him they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened that tells us that even though mercy feels sounds impractical and forgiveness seems like the last thing we want to do when we're hurt The world is begging for people of mercy. How badly is the world starved for mercy? The story is told of a remorseful father who placed an ad in the local paper. Paco, meet me in the Hotel Montana Tuesday at noon. All is forgiven. That Tuesday, the hotel was overwhelmed when hundreds of young men named Paco showed up at that hotel looking for a merciful father. The world is starved for mercy. And we are being encouraged both to recognize the mercy given to us and to respond in like manner for Jesus' sake, for the sake of God's love for the world. The next surprise is the anger of the king. Verse 32. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. When there's no mercy, there's only anger and debts and judgment. The surprise is how seriously we are to take mercy as the way to relate to one another in this broken and rebellious world. And Jesus ends the story forcing that, enforcing it, highlighting it, just in case we missed the point. Verse 35, This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now this is not a threat. This is an invitation. It is an exaggeration to make a point. Jesus has just illustrated what life looks like without mercy. But he came as the mercy of God. He came to be merciful to you and me. He knows by experience what it costs to be merciful and to forgive. But he knows we will die alone and apart from God without it. So feel the shock of these last words. Let Him shock you into facing even the worst in your life with mercy first. There, you will experience the mercy of God. He came to be merciful to you and me. He knows by experience what it costs to be merciful and to forgive. But there, when we show mercy, He will be there. For we are united with Christ and He lives within us and our lives belong to Him. The kingdom accounts are settled for eternity by mercy so love mercy, and you will flourish in God's kingdom by faith in the Lord. Well, how do we get there? We start with the confession that, yes, I need to be forgiven much. More than I can ever imagine. And yes, it, it cost God dearly to forgive me. It cost the life of Jesus, which was the one perfect life. The one true love. The holy, pure love of God. This was sacrificed for you, and because of you, and for me. So yes, now even though I may have been deeply sinned against, I am given this new life with Jesus to share that mercy. To learn to love mercy and lead with it. Though it will cost me too. That's where we begin. So then what helps us to be merciful? Well, remember that each person is made in the image of God, even the stranger, even your enemy. And remember that Jesus died for the ungodly. And remember that I am bound in covenant with fellow sisters and brothers in Christ, And what unites us is more substantial and lasting. So nothing should divide us. And remember that God takes sin seriously. So I can leave room for God's judgment. Paul says in Romans 12, Do not take revenge, my dear friends, but leave room for God's wrath. For it is written, it is mine to avenge you. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary... If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. In doing this, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so consider how to overcome evil with something good. Something good like mercy. You can show mercy even if the relationship has changed forever. You can show mercy even if new boundaries have to be set. You can show mercy even if there are still consequences for what has happened. We know by experience that forgiveness of sin is at the heart of Christian faith. God gave His Son. Jesus gave His life, dying on the cross, to atone for your sin and mine. And from the cross He forgave us. That's the heart of the matter. But now Jesus calls us to be formed and shaped by that cross. To trust His cross by being merciful to one another and to the stranger. So, in the moment, I will invite us to practice this together. To get an experience in a safe place, in a place where we recognize that Christ is present. To know that Christ is present with us when we take up that cross, and He will carry that cross for us and with us too. To practice the mercy of forgiveness in a safe place, not just as a community which we did earlier in the service, but from person to person, from the one made in the image of God to the next made in the image of God, one by one asking, forgive me a sinner. With each responding, the Lord forgives you. And you may wonder, why should I do that here? Why should I ask forgiveness from people who have done nothing to me? And it's true that open enmity, personal hatred, and real animosity may be absent from your life. And that is a blessing. But by this we confess that there are much subtler ways of offending God. And these are things like indifference, selfishness, prejudice. Holding grudges and regret. Passing by on the other side of the one in need. Even taking for granted our church family. Worshiping the triune God with this simple connection of forgiveness makes us realize, if only for a moment, that our, ent- our entire relationship to others will be ungodly and not Christlike when self-giving love and mercy and forgiveness are absent. And so this makes us encounter, experience together, one child of God with another, the presence of the Holy Spirit right there with us, who by his counsel reminds us that we belong by God's grace and the forgiving mercy of his cross. So, listen to the gospel. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other. And forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against anyone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And over all these virtues put on love. Which binds them together in perfect unity. So I invite you now to do this. To turn to the one on your left. To turn to the one on your right. To turn to the one behind you. Or to turn to the one before you and say, forgive me, a sinner. And then respond, the Lord forgives you. A little awkward. We have a lot to learn yet when it comes to mercy, but our lives depend upon it. Forgive me, sinner. The Lord forgives you. There is life in those words, there is new life when those words are spoken and given and received. That's the kindness and love and forgiveness and care Jesus reveals by his life. Mercy is love in action. Mercy is not getting what we deserve. Mercy is kindness and compassion instead. We have received God's mercy. And that mercy has united us with Christ. Your life has been bought by God. You belong to him now. So Jesus says, my disciples will be merciful in my name. Mercy is love in action. Mercy is not giving others what you think they deserve. Mercy is forgiving and forbearing and going out of your way for another to be kind and compassionate. The way of mercy may lead to sacrifice, may lead to a cross, but Jesus carries our cross for us, and we meet him there. You are not alone in these painful burdens. Jesus will be with you to bear you up. His mercy shapes our mercy. So don't be afraid to be kind and compassionate, and gentle, and patient, and bearing with others, and not giving up on one another. For God gives us the mercy to be merciful. Amen.